Huh, how are you doing? I'm okay. I am um, beset, besotted, is that the right word? Um, with allergies. Mm, I don't think you're so, besotted with your allergies. Be, what am I thinking of? Be, <laughs> I think beset. Uh, I think if you stalling. were... Oh, no. no. Yeah, if you were That's besotted right. with them, I think you would be uh, perhaps infatuated with them. Um, or in an archaic definition, intoxicated or drunk with it. Mm. No, there, mm-hmm. there, I'll go with that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and I, yes, yes, indeed. And I, I think that's where the, uh, the infatuated comes from. Um, mm-hmm. yes, you are, you are, um, intoxicated, uh, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yes. And be set to be troubled by. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So kind of both. Yeah. Huh. Fair enough. <sighs> um, Yeah. So I got home from the office at 5.35, and I was on Skype, ready to go, my equipment in as working a state as it ever is, uh, by 6.30. And mm-hmm. in the intervening 55 minutes, I took the dogs outside and actually down the block a little bit, a very short walk. Um, I cooked Chinese food for myself for dinner from scratch. I ate. I skimmed the article we're going to talk about tonight. I did the dishes both from dinner and from breakfast this morning, and I processed the five pieces of mail that came in today. Oh, my. So I, I feel like I would fit in at Amazon. <laughs> but how do you feel about having done all those things in 55 minutes? I think that's the real question. Yeah, that is the real question. And to answer that, I will say pretty good because I'm not doing it to make Jeff Bezos rich. Yay. And that is, you've already gotten to the core of the issue for the day. Mm, maybe you I have. I also, I also have a counter to my own <laughs> high horse on that uh, one. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, because, because complications. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, Because Future. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 33. Because technology. Um, so anyhow, yeah. Uh, what do you think as far as having a way in on this? Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking as I was prepping this week about a previous conversation. Um, and, you know, even when I do listen to our episodes, everything in the past is absolutely a blur inside my brain. Mm. Um, in one episode we were talking about work-life balance but not work-life balance Mm -hmm. was it because we both Um, turned our nose up at the term yeah and i can't remember how we were actually talking about it when we weren't using that term Mm. yeah i think it's i think it's a safe bet we solved whatever the problem was but yeah oh yeah it and racism um dunzo Um, But anyway, it was, I was thinking, (laughs) I was thinking about that a little bit this week about, um, yeah, basically about how we make choices about how to spend our time and attention, um, and what is tolerable 
even when we are deciding to dedicate that time mm-hmm. um, to our work, for instance, to our, our primary job um, or work, whatever that is. Um, how about this? When you are at work doing your work, who do you work for? Hmm. That is or a great question, actually. Maybe that would be the way. No, in. I think that's a good way in. And it's, I mean, it's an issue that is part of this. And it's an issue that I've, I've thought about bringing up in discussing this article. Um, but it is, the way you've just put it I, is much more succinct and, and to the point than anything I was thinking about. So I like it. Mm. Um, when I am at work, um, I, it's a complicated question. <laughs> it always is. Um <laughs> And it has, it has a lot of answers, but I think, I think at the end of the day, as far as who I work for me personally, um, you know, I do try to keep my best interests or excuse me, try to keep my company's best interests at heart in the company related things that I do. Um, but I'd be lying if I'd, if I said, you know, I am there, I would be there as a volunteer that, you know, the company's mission (laughs) matters to me more, um, than, than anything else I'm doing aside from the fact that the company is providing, you know, paying benefits. Um, (laughs) and I, you know, I do aim to be good at my job and to be good for the company. I want to be more valuable than, than necessary, you know, both to make sure they want to keep me around and, you know, (laughs) so eventually they'll give me more interesting things to do. But, um, in general, I, I am kind of there, you know, yes, for me to take care of my family, to advance my career, um, to, to test out my ideas because it's more interesting to me than other things I could be doing, uh, mm-hmm. for the same amount of money. Uh, and one thing kind of related to this, that, that might be germane to the topic or might be a field and something to talk about another day. Um, we can see, but <laughs> there's a, it's, it's a fairly common idea. I think I'm going to credit Tom Peters with it because he's the first person I can remember the name of that I saw speak of this idea. <laughs> I know I saw it before then. I know I've seen it since then. But there's this idea in in sort of um, you know, career career coaching and and self-help and and like a lot of especially entrepreneurial focused books about treating your career um rather than being like you are an employee of somebody else, but thinking of it as you are, even before you go off on your own and hang out your own shingle and do your own thing, you are an entrepreneur running a business and your current employer is just your anchor client for the moment. You know, mm. they're, your, they're your biggest and most valuable client and you want to do good work for them. But at the end of the day, you are CEO of Me Inc. And, <laughs> you know, your, your job is to manage your portfolio of projects and future prospects wisely. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I've, I think I've taken that to heart. I don't think I've always, I I don't know that I've always used it completely productively, but I'll say definitely with the current employer and with at least a couple of past ones, I feel like that mindset has helped me, um, you know, be there for myself. You know, I am there working Mm -hmm. for myself for selfish reasons, but also still serve the company in, in a productive, positive way. Because, you know, if, if you are in business for yourself, you need to take care of your clients. Um, you know, (laughs) it helps me balance that and, and, you know, keep in mind, and this is something that went through my head a lot the last few days at at the last kind of, you know, big long-term career-y kind of job I had, which did not end well, but the last Mm -hmm. few days of the thing that kept running through my head really the whole last year, it was a total shit show by the time I left, was reminding myself that, you know, I don't serve at their pleasure, they serve at mine, Mm -hmm. um, and that I can walk out the door at any time. 
you know, I don't know. I, I am working for me, but um, I recognize that serving others is a part of successfully working for me. Mm-hmm. Did I take mm-hmm. it completely off of wherever you were going? No, I don't think so. Um, and I, I found myself nodding and, um, you know, giving you some, some verbal acknowledgement too, as I, as you were talking. Um, yeah, no, that just sounds, uh, healthy to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and maybe it is a very Western American individualistic entrepreneurial, um, view of a career of what, of what it is to work, of why we work. Mm -hmm. But even as you were talking, I kept talking myself into it even more and more. Right. Um, because as you were suggesting, it's not, um, it, I mean, in one view, it's self-serving and narcissistic and whatever. But if done correctly, um, if done well, you are also serving your employer. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't advance your own career if you are ignoring the needs of your company completely. Right. right? You, you can't do it well right, unless you're right. thinking of everyone. You need to be serving somebody. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe not even the company. Like you can still advance your career at the expense of your company, even within the company, mm-hmm. um, for sure. But you do have to be serving somebody. Like you do mm-hmm. have to have a client, at least. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. No, no, totally not. You'd be fired. <laughs> yeah, you sure would be, and rightfully so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I and there's there's you know you mentioned this being a, a sort of Western and entrepreneurial idea. And I think there's some truth to that, but at the same time, I think, and this may also be a Western phenomenon, but if so, I think it's, it's spread to an awful lot of the world um, in some places less than others. And in some places, you know, this kind of thinking and behavior is, is uh, illegal to various degrees, but, you know, frankly, in the modern corporate world in much of the West, um, I think anything less than this is, impractical if not dangerous um mm. you know th- how do you mean there's there is uh and there's a lot of a lot of writing and thinking on this on the reasons and whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing or an inevitable thing but in the west you know corporate life there has been a lot of erosion of the idea of of like job as career um or the idea of of a company's loyalty to its employees uh so I think if you're the the thing is, and I think this is this is definitely a point made made in Peter's version of this idea, um, this this me ink thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. If you are not looking out for your own prospects, nobody else is going to. Mm-hmm. Even if you are a superstar, if the day comes where it is more valuable to the corporation that you not be a part anymore, or not play the part you want to play anymore, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, and that's one of the things in, in I think this article will come back around to talking about, uh, <laughs> that can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. There is no indispensable man or woman out there. There is nobody so creative, so innovative, so talented that no machine, no team in India, no other person from your own country who's a little bit younger with a little more hustle can't take away you know, a corporate job. Mm. Um, there is, there is no person who is completely immune to the vagaries of, of all of that, you know, let alone all the other things that can happen to you personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's, so the, the idea of 
well, if I treat this company right and I put the company first, the company is always going to be there for me. Well, I mean, and, and we can, again, talk about the article that we're going to talk about here. Um, <laughs> even people who do that, when life throws them a curveball and they can't put the company first anymore, the company's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that is the bridge if you want to start explaining it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listeners <laughs> might already have guessed what we're talking about, but um, a few weeks ago, there was an article in the New York Times, um, Jody Cantor and, and David Streetfeld, um, called Inside Amazon, Wrestling Big Ideas in a Bruising Workplace. And this article generated a huge stir. Um I first heard about it on Twitter and within 24 hours had heard uh, a marketplace um, report about it on NPR and um, within a couple of weeks, all of my favorite podcasts, I think, had touched on it in one way or another. Um, somebody from the New York Times said, uh, and we'll link to, um, we might talk about the Accidental Tech Podcast episode where they discuss this article. Um, they're the ones who cited this stat, um, so I'll point to them. But someone from the New York Times has apparently said this is the most commented on article they've ever published mm-hmm. online, uh, which I would believe. Uh, anyhow, basically it details what it's like to work at Amazon. And uh, what is it like? Well... It kind of sucks. Um, they describe a an extremely competitive culture, um, very high demands on people's times, uh, an, an expectation in many jobs and many divisions that you'll be working 80-hour weeks, that you will be checking email even past midnight uh, and getting text messages asking why you're not, you know, if, if you're not. Uh, that ideas and even people are routinely very brutally criticized out of a belief of sort of a uh, corporate social Darwinism, you know, that the that ideas that face that kind of scrutiny and abuse will, will you know, the ones that survive will be the strongest ones and the best ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it describes a lot of things that are kind of chilling um, if, if – uh, <laughs> If all too common in the modern workplace, just not usually as extreme, um, a lot of a lot of backbiting and uh, and you know really Machiavellian scheming that the company even encourages with the, with its feedback systems. Um, a lot of uh, attention is given to sort of management uh, oversight via numbers and statistics and algorithms, making sure that they're getting the most possible out of every person, and they mean the most possible. Um, you know, not not a highly productive forty hours of work like on a factory line of your, but uh, literally the most work they could possibly extract from a given white collar worker. Uh, and it's really, it's really kind of a brutal article. Um, and at one point, uh, as I mentioned, the idea that uh, the corporation's not going to be there for you when things go poorly. Um, there's some, some cases cited in the article of people who have had real tragedies, family members with cancer, themselves getting cancer, um, losing, losing a, a pregnancy and a miscarriage, um, just being pregnant and having kids. Uh, and how in these cases they end up, they find themselves on on things like performance improvement plans, and being ostracized and cut out of of discussions and opportunities and responsibility, and in in a lot of cases it sounds like driven out of the company. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a person who um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a paragraph verbatim if that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. A woman who had breast cancer was told that she was put on a quote performance improvement plan unquote. Amazon code for you're in danger of being fired because, quote, difficulties, unquote, in her personal life had interfered with fulfilling her work goals. 
Their accounts echoed others from workers who had suffered health crises and felt they also had been judged harshly instead of being given time to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, there's, and there's, you know, much more here, but I think that's a good, good starting point, at least, you know, um, a good sense of the tone and tenor of this article, uh, as well as how mm-hmm. I'm taking it. For sure. Yeah, something that uh, the folks that ATP pointed out in their episode talking about it um, was that for people in the in the tech industry in general, uh, it was their impression that this article was not terribly shocking based mm-hmm. on anecdotes that they had heard and impressions they had gotten from a variety of people. Sure. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> what I appreciated them sort of putting in context is um, sort of the average person or someone outside of that world. Of course, this was really jarring to read and to hear some of these specific details mm-hmm. because it seems from the outside like something that no one, let alone this many people, would put up with for any mm-hmm. uh, for any long period of time. Um, and yet it seems like this is a persistent culture. Right. You know, this is not, things were really awful for mm-hmm. a year. This is, um, for as far as we know, these things keep happening because it's part of the culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Amazon this, is not a brand yeah. new company. No, no. And this this competition, this uh, sort of hyper culture among the employees seems to be, it's been their, their structure this entire time, mm-hmm. it seems like. Um, so, but again, from the outside, um, it seems shocking, one, because it is so harsh, um, but two, also that it has been persisting this way as if it's all right, mm-hmm. you know, sort of two layers of shock there. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah. And you know, it's funny though, at the same time, it does sound like an extreme case, of course, that it's such a large organization and there's such a variety, but such a troubling variety of situations here. Um, but at the same time, some of these things are familiar, even if we've only experienced them in um, sort of micro ways, mm-hmm. My, not microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> we have not experienced these things in microwaves. Um, but, you know, the, the times when a certain project came up or a deadline was looming, maybe a grant application has to go in, something like that. Um, and work does look like this for a while. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And I guess I can't comment on everyone's experience. Obviously I'm not, I'm only speaking for myself. Sure. (laughs) My general impression. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's, I mean, there's, yeah, (laughs) there's a lot there. Um, Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned, I think it's a, it's a good point that this is shocking to people on the outside, but folks in the tech industry probably recognize some of this, you know, both from similar experiences they've had as well as anecdotes from Amazon. I Mm -hmm. I would say though, I mean, this is, um, in a lot of ways, uh, I think what, what, what is resonating with people and part of why this article got a lot of traction is that everyone can recognize, uh, some of this from their own jobs, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not even just like, you make a, you make a great point there and we should come back to that. The idea of, of, um, as they called it in, on ATP, you know, the tech industry term or startup term of crunch time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're not even in the face of a deadline or a crunch. Um, but 
just in, in, in general terms, you know, the trends of, of work life, you know, trends of the marketplace, this push towards getting the most out of people and measuring everything and, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, really, and, and I'll, I'll reference something I, I mentioned before about nobody being immune. I mean, just the, the fact of the matter is everyone in the white collar world is to one degree or another more and more competing with technology, mm-hmm. competing with software. Um, you know, next year, something's going to come out that's going to do something you do now in your white collar job, if you have one, a little bit faster than the software you're using now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is going to be able to automate a slight bit more. There's going to be one or two more decisions that are going to be either gotten down to a flowchart level that any idiot could follow or even <laughs> completely automated. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more and more that can go through the general workflow funnel and less and less that needs a a human expert decision because it's an exception. But the stakes are, in the meantime what happens when you allow those humans that are part of the process to get crunched up, to get totally oh, ab- burned out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's my point though, is that, that mm-hmm. this, these pressures that Amazon um, seems to be facing uh, and, and in the marketplace of jobs and companies that, that, you know, comes up in, in the form of startups and disruption, you know, the mm-hmm. Amazon is a company that is, has disrupted other industries by leveraging technology. They have done mm-hmm. stuff faster, cheaper, heretofore unimaginable things in, in retailing uh, and increasingly in other services. And they are hyper-concerned from Jeff Bezos on down with that happening to them from another company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we can all see this. We all feel these pressures. Um, some companies are a little bit more humane and we're sort of insulated from it. Mm-hmm. No, I understand that. Um... I think the the big thing, though, and sort of what made me think of um, the question I opened with is where's the limit for that fight, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, if you ask Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> There's hardly any limit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the they're limit constantly looking exist. for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I do think this is an interesting case study for for us and for general non-Amazon people, because they're, like you said, and we've been talking about, there are versions of this that do apply to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have no intention of working for Amazon in, in my entire life. <laughs> um, but I see versions of this stuff pop up, and even on a day-to-day basis, I mean, this is a huge thing in teaching, and I could come at it from a variety of angles, but even just at a personal level, um, you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, mm-hmm. I don't really have a work day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sort of have a work day. Um, I often have some flexibility about how I define the parameters of that work day, mm-hmm. um, where I'm doing my work, when I get to those locations, when I leave those locations. Um, I have quite a bit more flexibility than a lot of full to other full-time working people, um, because of the nature of, of my teaching gigs, um, but at the same time, that could sort of balloon out on me. If I chose to, I could spend, you know, much like these Amazon folks, 80 or 85 hours a week working, mm-hmm. whether it's from home or on campus or, or whatever. Um, but the question when I'm choosing how to spend my time and, and where to give my attention during the day, I always, I have to ask to what end? 
mm-hmm. you know, um, this comes up. Um, I think a lot of young teachers learn pretty quickly uh, that effective grading and effective feedback to students is is a huge efficiency question um, mm-hmm. for th- for the workday and the work week. Because again, it could balloon out into an encyclopedic uh, entry, you know, in response to a student's one paragraph reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but to what end? Again, um, are they going to read that? Is it actually going to help them grow? Mm-hmm. Um, is it time efficient? Is it even physically freaking possible? <laughs> <laughs> um, encyclopedia length? No, <laughs> does not compute. Um, well, it certainly doesn't scale. No, not at all. So, I mean, that's a, that's a very micro example. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, and we've talked about this before too, choosing what areas of professional development or professional service are really going to serve you and the people around you. Mm-hmm. That's huge on college campuses. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's sort of an ongoing joke about faculty joining 8 million committees, um, you know, in the name of service, you know, that's Mm -hmm. an expectation of many faculty positions is you teach, you are producing some sort of scholarship or part of some sort of scholarly community. Um, and then you serve your campus in, in whatever capacities would be appropriate. Um, but there's not really a guidebook for what that necessarily is going to look like. So when people start asking you to join things, um, so there's a big question for the, you know, am I working for myself? Am I working for my institution? Mm-hmm. Am I the best person to serve in this capacity? Sure. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions there. Yeah. Um, um, you mentioned there not being really a guidebook for navigating that. Do you feel that that partly um, <laughs> any lack of information about that might be in part just because it's in the interest of the institution you know, as, as an organism, as an entity, um, and, and in the generic, I'm not talking about your institution specifically, but, you know, is it the kind of situation where it's not in the interest of the institution to spell that out too clearly because they are always going to want and need faculty to do more? <laughs> like, it's kind of like the flare um, thing mm-hmm. on, on office space. Like, I'm not going to tell you to wear 37 <laughs> pieces of flare. You know, I'm going to tell you what the minimum is and let you know that we're expecting more. And mm-hmm. let you figure it out because then people will try to outdo each other and nobody will know when to mm-hmm. stop and we'll get a lot more flair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really funny, <laughs> that's a really funny, I, I guess the, the comparison to <laughs> so, so basically for... is your, are all your academic committees just like buttons on your vest? Yeah, no, no, no. So I, maybe the comparison would be uh, line items on your CV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would be your pieces of flair. You know, well, here's the thing though. So like, okay, this, this is working out really well. Thank you, Max. This is good. You're welcome. I'm picturing, I'm picturing like the, the most gaudy array of buttons possible right now. Um, so for instance, um, you could have your 37 pieces of flair that sort of occupy the, the width of your suspenders or whatever mm-hmm. that fill up, you know, five pages of a CV. Um, or you could have some really big, important pieces of flair, but you can have less of those. Mm-hmm. You can only have, you know, you, you must have fewer of them. Right. Um, yeah, so I think that's good. <laughs> um, that's sort of similar to, uh, uh, Merlin Mann talks about this on Back to Work, um, and he is also borrowing it from someone else. So this is references all the way down, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is also meta. Ding. Um, but he talks about... Um, you know, your time and attention, your resources, 
if you imagine what you have to offer as a big empty box, Mm -hmm. there are only so many boxy little projects and commitments that you can put into your big box. Right. Every, every, every task, every commitment, every use of time is a block. Mm -hmm. Yes. So similarly, flare and CV lines. <laughs> See, and here's where the CV sort of gets out of control. And this is a, oh, so many good comparisons. Um, a CV, you can always add pages. Mm-hmm. So you have this impression that you could be doing infinite things. But the box and the flare images remind us that we can't. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> you can't actually be doing all 37 things. Right. Yeah, absolutely, and, and nobody will see them. That's that's another thing that I you know I think about um, as you're as you're talking about it, thinking about having fewer more important pieces of flair. I mean, if you've got one button on your shirt, people are going to read it. They're going mm-hmm. to notice it. They're going to see it, and they're going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like these cars you see with like eighty bumper stickers on them. I mean, sometimes it's just kind of haha. My car's a piece of crap, so I put a bunch of funny bumper stickers on it. <laughs> but like, think about cars you've seen that have like you know. The last three presidential elections and a bunch of things about being green and that um, silly one mm-hmm. with the word coexist written with all the religious symbols of the world, at least all the ones that the person writing the bumper sticker could think of. Um, you know, it's it, it, if you get like 100 bumper stickers on the back of a van, most of them are never going to get read, even by somebody sitting behind you at the world's longest traffic light. Sure. Um, you know, same thing with flair. Same thing, I think, to an extent with, and I don't know about CVs per se. I mean, perhaps in a collegiate setting, somebody is actually going to read and digest all of that. But um, thinking about resumes out in the private sector, uh, you know, it's what you'll often see if you go Google for answers to the question, should my resume be on just one page? Because that used to be mm-hmm. a very common piece of advice. I say yes. You'll find a lot of people out there saying, no, it's okay if it's two or three. You know, it depends on your industry. There's not really a standard mm-hmm. anymore, da-da-da-da-da. Well, I say, screw all that. I don't care if there's a standard or not. You should make it a page because mm-hmm. nobody's going to read your goddamn resume if it's three pages mm-hmm. long. Um, well, yeah. And even <laughs> just from a, a writing standpoint, I would agree that if you can take what could be three pages and get it down to one mm-hmm. while keeping the same mm-hmm. the same level of content but saying it most concisely right. – it's probably going to be right. way stronger than a, the three-page version anyway. Yeah, well, and, and I would say not even keeping the same content, but keeping whatever the good content was. Sure, sure. You know, what was, from your last five jobs, don't tell me everything you did. Tell me, right. like, two really cool projects or really good numbers that you brought in for mm-hmm. each of them. Because that's going to go right. way further than, I mean, and, and, you know, I say nobody's going to read it. I'm not kidding. Nobody in HR at wherever you apply to next is going to read a 150-word paragraph for the last 10 jobs you had. Mm. It's not going to happen. And if it does, they're not going to remember the first one by the time they get to the end. But I can just tell right. you it's not going to happen. That's not how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Anyhow, we're, we're, we might be drifting a little bit afield. No, I think no. It's... I can – yeah, I can tie. Um, Please do. So likewise, if you're – you could be running around um, – just absolutely killing yourself. I mean, really killing yourself mm-hmm. um, at your office. You may be the person who's always frantically, you know, dashing off to the copy machine and dashing off to meetings, and um, you see their lamp on as you're when you're leaving for your occasional late night out of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that what counts? You know, at Amazon, it know. is. I don't know. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't end that image very well. Yeah. I just mainly had the image. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it's a good, um, there's an episode of Seinfeld, uh, if I'm remembering right, where uh, George Costanza, um, I think he locks his keys in his car and, and can't get anybody there to help or something like that. Anyhow, he ends up leaving his car in the garage. Um, overnight one time, I think by mistake to begin with, but everyone, you know, as they're leaving, sees his car there. So the last person out sees his car there. And then the next morning, everyone arriving sees his car there and everyone's Mm -hmm. assuming he's just putting in these marathon hours. Mm -hmm. So he just starts leaving it there. (laughs) Think that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is, which is kind of awful in a way, but I, I mean, that's, you know, talk about like, we see, we can see this in our own employers. That was an example in, uh, at the time, what was either the most popular or one of the most popular sitcoms in America. That was an example used 20 years ago (laughs) that resonated Mm -hmm. with enough people. Enough people got the joke because, you know, it's, it's like Dilbert, like nothing as absurd as what's in Dilbert ever happens to anybody, except it kind of does. You know, people yeah. people like Dilbert because they nod along and say, yes, yes, mm-hmm. I have had the pointy-haired boss. Oh, yes. Um, and same thing. Like, people even 20 years ago recognized this idea of corporate America wanting more and more out of people and celebrating the person who burns the midnight oil and then is the mm-hmm. first one into the office making the coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess my thing with, with a lot of this is there are situations where this type of attitude and this type of approach to work is sort of necessary. You know, on on that ATP episode, they're talking about, uh, you know, if you're working this hard, but it's for your own startup that, you know, you have this window of time, you have the energy and resources right now, Mm -hmm. um, and you are going at breakneck speed for yourself to get a business off the ground, um, that does feel extremely different than doing the exact same kind of running around for a mega company like Amazon. Right. Um, yeah. So I feel that I feel like this is, these are the kind of things that I, I try to put in, into perspective for my students a lot too. Um, because especially when they are new to college, um, they don't quite know yet how to make decisions about what's worth it and what's not. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, so they will often be, be going absolutely wild over sort of the wrong stuff. Even for my class, I will find out, you know, I'll get a panicky email or a student in my office or something, and I'll find out they're worrying about the wrong thing. (laughs) You know, so some of that is, is just sort of getting used to the work and, Mm -hmm. and, and different priorities. Um, but even I'm thinking of stuff like their, their balance too, you know, in my, classroom policies and in my syllabus policies, I try really hard to leave room for, and I keep coming back to it because we don't have a better phrase, but I keep coming back to balance. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, for instance, illnesses are excused. Of course. Um, I'm not fussy about, (laughs) you know, I'm not asking for photos of your infected toe and you can't get across (laughs) campus, whatever. I don't care. Um, I'm going to, I give them the trust that they are adults and they don't need to lie to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you say you're sick, you're sick. I don't, I don't care about a doctor's note. Right. Um, you know, this is where we're building trust. You are adults now. Um, I'm going to treat you as such. You treat me as such too. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'll get people panicking about, you know, asking if they can leave to go to the bathroom during class and stuff like that. 
it's like, dudes and dudettes, I do not control your bodies. Like, <laughs> please go take care of that. I can't tell you when to take care of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could be like the teacher in fast t- in, on uh, Fast Times in Ridgemont High where you like lock the door and say, you're on my time now. Yes, 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 yes. There are so many interesting media representations of teachers. Yes. <laughs> I probably am not any of them. I'm <laughs> much more boring and less extreme. Mm. Um yeah, but I don't know. So I was thinking of one project as I was prepping this week. Um, <laughs> and it's a good example of this sort of culture in a way, but also um, something that we've talked about before um, about just stopping doing something and see if that sort of takes it off your plate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I love that one. I wonder how many people have gotten fired by that. I know this one I did not get fired for, and I, there's no way they could have fired me for this. This one would have been absolutely ridiculous. Um, so at a previous institution, I was working with an organization on this project. Um, I believe it was a grant proposal. Um, it was one that we had either taken up very late in the game or for some reason had been waiting on a piece of it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the institution had a snow day called 24 to 48 hours before this thing was due. Mm. I found out the next day that people had gone to work (laughs) and had been in the office risking life and limb. Yes. And it was a bad day. It wasn't just, Oh, snow day. Mm -hmm. And and it's gone by 9am. Right. Like it was gross. There was ice. It was bad. Yeah. Um, and I was not within walking distance. And even if I had wanted to brave icy <laughs> sidewalks, which, you know, I fall on flat ground when it's perfectly warm. So. <laughs> no, like true story. I twisted my ankle the first week of school. Oh, <laughs> like, very sorry to hear. I offer, no, I, do, I don't offer that for pity. I offer that for real life evidence. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't need help falling down. <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah, no way. I was not going in. And the next day, I had suspected that my supervisor probably, um, if if this person was not working at home, they they perhaps had gone in to work on it, but would most certainly be working from home. Um, I can't remember whether I got in. You know what? I don't think I was able to do any of the work from home. They would have had to send me something mm-hmm. because things were, I think, housed on local servers. Mm-hmm. So all my documents really were at work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't have even continued with my part of it. Sure. Um, had had you known that people were at work? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would have necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm, know I'm just saying, like, even if you could mm-hmm. have, like, you wouldn't have because you didn't know they were there. Right, right. Um, no, but all the, the work emails the next day were evidence of things that had been done all day. Um <laughs> And also, also sort of um, noteworthy of this culture. It was a bunch of emails that didn't have anything to do with me, and I didn't need to see them <laughs> because I wasn't involved. Mm-hmm. But the next day, it was sort of a narrative of how the day had gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> how the snow day had gone. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But so then the, the sort of flip side is, um, although I had wondered to myself whether at least the supervisor would be going in, even though I found that absurd <laughs> that this person would even brave the weather mm-hmm. and the roads. Um, <laughs> I, I thought incredibly briefly 
um, well, what if they really did need me and I'm, I'm not getting in my email all day? I wonder if that's going to be a problem. And then after the fact, not only was it not a problem, but it was never brought up in any professional conversation who did show up that day and who didn't. Mm-hmm. I found out that other people had. Right. I don't know why they chose to go in. Yeah. Well, they might <laughs> so, just really love so their maybe, job. Well, I don't know. Maybe they were <laughs> told or maybe they were asked to mm-hmm. come in if they felt comfortable. I, you know, I will, I uh, know. I'll mention too another possible motivation that I would not necessarily ascribe to them, but I'm thinking as you're, as you're talking about various no day experiences I've had where I have been at work, mm-hmm. um, and uh, when when I last lived in Lincoln, the job I had there for about a year and a half, I lived just over a mile away from um, the building where I worked. And on at least one occasion for sure, I think this happened twice actually, we had a massive um, – and this was in, in the winter of 2009. Anybody in Nebraska will probably, probably remember how awful – that was um that was the mm. one where there was the giant uh the giant snowpack all the snow that had been cleared from the streets that was out by uh Haymarket Park probably until May mm-hmm. um that was 20 feet high and you know like multiple city blocks wide um anyhow a, a couple of days where basically you know everything was shut down all the schools were shut down and people were essentially told like you don't need to come in as soon as it was feasible for me to do so I did go in and mm-hmm. a lot of the reason that I did that, partly it was because that, that place, I mean, the work-life balance, you know, the culture of, of that place was very much into the heroic long hour startup kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But also my big reason for personally wanting to go in is because I figured not many other people would. Right. And, you know, the snow day then became a hugely productive, quiet, nice day for me to work. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm I'm not saying that was necessarily anybody in, in your office on campus that time, but... Um, yeah, I, I I don't know that I would say that that's necessarily endemic of this kind of culture, depending on what kind of people you've got, if they're a bunch of mm-hmm. introverts like me, you know? No, in this case, it was exclusively a crunch time scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I haven't mentioned. Um, that culture was very much like that. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, mo- well, for a variety of reasons, I, mean, <laughs> I shouldn't dismiss it. Like, I know why it was that way. Um, but it was characteristic because that because reasons, um, no, it was characteristic that most projects, um, always felt rushed and under resourced. Is that a phrase? Sure. Are those words? Um, they are words and you arrange them. So they are a phrase. Huzzah. Yes. Yes. No. So that absolutely was characteristic yeah. was. Most projects felt rushed, felt behind, mm-hmm. felt um, understaffed, et cetera, et cetera. No, so it was sort of um, a persistent crunch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I keep getting drawn back to, I, I don't want to make this a purely mercenary thing, but I also, you know, I, I argued for, you know, corporate America facing and people individually in jobs facing this pressure of, you know, the oncoming future. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the reason for, for Amazon being this way is because future, um, <laughs> and a, a surprising number of articles, if you, if you search for them online, I'll link to a couple, a lot of people actually came out kind of in defense of this. Um, there were some defenses I'm going to dispense with right away, like people who work at Amazon, you know, um, who say they like it this way, you know, they like putting in these kinds of hours and seeing how well they can push their limits. Cause you know. 
they want to push their limits. Okay, fine. That's great. Good for you. Um, you're certainly allowed to push your limits in a company where people aren't being told that they're a problem because they, you know, got a life threatening illness. Um, right. but there's, and, and Jeff Bezos himself, you know, came out and said like, I don't recognize this Amazon. And, um, Sir, John Syracuse makes a great point on that episode of ATP where we've been talking about where he says, well, of course he doesn't recognize it. He, <laughs> he founded a company based around his own work style and he stands mm-hmm. to become fantastically wealthy and has done so by working this way and making everybody around him work this way. So of course he doesn't recognize it. He's doing what he mm-hmm. wants to do and getting rich doing it. So it's nothing like what anybody else there is going through. Um, right. So that I'm going to dispense with those. But there were outsiders saying, you know, not only is this okay, but this is good as well. Um, it's a gentleman whose name I'm not recalling. I will find it for show notes, though. I know I've I've got it somewhere um, mm-hmm. in my history. Uh, who who said essentially like, you know, the way people at Amazon are behaving is the way that entrepreneurs behave, and capitalism would fail if they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, society would come to a, to a screeching halt. There'd be no innovation. Um, there's a slightly less, um, 80s Republican version of that, that I heard from other quarters. Um, there's a, there's a piece by Penelope Trunk published on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so it's on LinkedIn barf, um, <laughs> saying basically like, this is, this is what she had to do when she was in a startup and this is what the investors expected and, you know, good for Amazon. Because if you're an A player, you want to play with other A players and you want to be playing at the height of your ability, facing the biggest challenges and putting all of your resources into beating mm-hmm. them. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of that kind of, of talk. And the thing that really, I think, really clarified it for me is something that John Syracuse said on that ATP. Um, you know, the thing is, if you are in a startup, if you have investors that you mm-hmm. are responsible for satisfying. It's okay if you want to work these kinds of hours because it's your baby. It's your idea. You probably won't. Mm-hmm. Most of them fail, but you stand to gain if it works. Right. Um, and, you know, somebody somebody might say, that's well, that's very mercenary and very capitalistic. And, you know, what about just being part of something bigger than yourself? What about a cause? And to that, I would say, well, same thing. Like, if this is your baby in that this is the cause you care about, you know, you're working for a not-for-profit that you didn't start and isn't going to make anybody, especially you, rich, but you're putting in these kind of hours because you care, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's not what's happening, care. That's according ex- to these reports. Exactly. That's not what's happening here. If you really care about Amazon's mission, what is Amazon's mission exactly? Um, there's a few things in here and a lot all over the web of Amazon employees talking about buying into the mission and wanting to change the world. And, you know, there's a woman in this in this article who speaks about liking her job because these this crazy limit pushing lets her create magical, and that's the word she used, magical experiences like the, the woman who couldn't find an Elsa doll anywhere and got it delivered in 23 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, to be into creating the future and into making things that were formerly impossible possible is great, but I would question, what are you creating? You know, if you're creating magical experiences at an unsustainable pace of human labor, you're not really creating magical experiences. Mm-hmm. You are just, you're stacking the deck, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. creating a pyramid scheme essentially. Right. Like what can be gained by exploiting people suffering from cancer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. period. Yeah. Um, and I do think, and you're, you're, you're getting at it and I do just want to reiterate, I think the big difference is, you know, who, who gets the payoff? Um, 
<laughs> if these people really feel selfless and like they are connected to, as you said, that idea of, of collectivism, of being something bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. wonderful. But the fact that so much of this culture, and I'm using air quotes, you just can't see my fingers. <laughs> um, I believe you. Because this culture is being imposed. It's supervisors telling people mm-hmm. on their teams that this is how life ought to be. Right. That is different than than someone choosing for their own project to step up and they spontaneously decide to work late nights mm-hmm. and to, you yeah. know, to push. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and there's there's there are people arguing. Like, these are all adults. They're all white-collar workers. They're white-collar workers at a very successful tech company. They could find a job elsewhere. They're choosing this. And and the article does point out, like it opens with a, the the opening scene of it is a description of of employee orientation. Mm-hmm. You know, from the beginning, people are encouraged to work and think this way. Um, so there is an element of volition in it, but at the same time, I, I I don't know. I I think I think your your use of the word culture is important. Like this is this is a culture that is yes, it's encouraging people to stretch themselves and push their limits. But I I think it is doing so to an unsustainable degree. Um, yes, and that mm-hmm. that's and it's doing so for to an unsustainable degree for a questionable gain. Um, another podcast that talked about this, the talk show uh, with John Gruber, and I think his guest was Ben Thompson that week. I'll I'll get the specific episode for show notes and make sure it's it's right there. But um, I I believe they're the ones who made the point. Like this article is a little bit snarky at times. Like you know talking about people doing all this, killing themselves just so, you know, customers could order toilet paper with the push of a button. Um, there's there's a little bit of dismissiveness of Amazon's mission. And I, I really have to say I, I agree with that. Um, I think that level of snark is appropriate. They criticized it on, on the talk show, but um, I think that level of snark is appropriate. Like, what is the mission here? And again, if it's to create magical retail experiences and to make everything available to everyone, you know, everything at your fingertips, every product Mm -hmm. in the world delivered unbelievably fast for a great price, um, that's a fine mission. But again, if it's at this kind of cost, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point, at some point, do they achieve that and say, okay, we're good now? You know, mm-hmm. we can have some people come in and, and you know, uh, again, ATP, they call it the, the fat and lazy phase. You know, mm-hmm. now we can just have some people come in, you know, careerists who are just going to like, you know, work their 40 hours, maybe 50 hours and do a reasonable amount of work for a reasonable paycheck and go home. Mm-hmm. You know, when does Amazon reach that plateau? And if the answer is never, then, you know, they might keep innovating, but they're also going to keep chewing people up. Yeah. And that's sort of when I got to that line of thinking when I was trying to wrap my head around all this, what is sort of freaky is that, and and the folks on ATP brought this up too, um, I don't know that you can do anything else. I don't know if there is a plateau when it has become the way of being. Because mm-hmm. um, what I kept thinking was, and maybe this, this is the analogy I thought of, I don't know if you can tell me whether you think it's after or not. It's almost like once you've started on this, path, this, you know, building this culture, once you have it, it feels very cyclical. Like it, I don't know how you get out of it. I don't know how you undo it. Similar to, um, if you think of attending a sports ball match, um, (laughs) at a stadium, at a stadium building, um, (laughs) um, 
if somebody in one of the, you know, basically any row besides the first row decides to stand up, Mm -hmm. eventually, so it, it becomes cyclical in that, eventually to see the same from the same perspective, to see the game from the same perspective, everyone in that section will have to stand up. Right. Um, and once you are there, you can't just choose to sit down. Mm-hmm. You can't undo the group decision, so to speak. Right. I don't know. So right. Maybe that's not asked. It's, uh, but... I think. I think in economics they call that the composition fallacy. The idea mm-hmm. that if it's good for one person, it would be good if everybody did it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that exact thing. If one person stands up, they have a better view. But mm-hmm. if everybody stands up, the view is essentially the same as everybody sitting down. There might be some variance for people who, because of differential lengths in the parts of their body, um, you know, someone who sits lower might be a little bit taller standing up or vice versa. So you might shift mm-hmm. around who has better and worse views, but you're in the aggregate exactly the same. Right. Um, and, and Well, no, you're not the same. You're slightly more tired. Well, yeah, you're also standing, um, which which arguably is good for you, you know. <laughs> All these things about sitting on. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Anyhow, neither here nor there. Though. Well, then we could say, you know, if somebody sits down. Anyways. Um, right. But that's but, what's happening in this conversation, too, is what we just did. There's other there's yeah. other, other examples, though. I mean, like, you know, they, they – um, and this one I would I would dispute a little bit, but I'm, I'm not an economist, so I don't have the math right now to prove it. But <laughs> uh, the argument that, like, if one family, one household starts saving more money, that's good for them. In the long run, they're going to be a lot better off. If everybody starts saving money, then the economy slows down, and everybody's not better off. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I would I would argue against some of the conclusions that that policymakers have drawn from that idea. But mm-hmm. you know, it's that's the idea, though. That that you know, if one does it, it might be great. If all do it, it's a problem, or at least nobody's mm-hmm. better off. Um, and that's that kind of the thing with Amazon that I wonder about, and some people have made this argument as well, is is this is, – are we looking just a little bit further down the road at sort of the quote-unquote future of work? Um, is this a thing where Amazon is doing it and getting ahead at certain things? Are all companies eventually going to try to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, either by necessity or just because, well, that guy's standing. Now I can't see. I better stand up. Right. Well, and I guess my sort of flippant answer is I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. This sounds dumb. Me too. Me too. Because when we're, again, when we're all running, it's it's all the same competition and everything else, but intensified. Mm-hmm. And at what point do we decide that the standard of living is worth more than that? Right. I don't know. Um, probably when capitalism collapses and, uh, computers are doing virtually all work and there are no jobs. Um, you're on this robot kick. (laughs) There are, uh, about a thousand, uh, internet billionaires and nobody else has any money or anything to do. Yeah. (laughs) The future is now. Uh, yeah. The robots are here. Yeah, I don't I don't have a good answer to that. That's actually um the reason I keep coming back to that is that is um I'm very slowly working through it cuz I'm also in school and working full time and <laughs> doing a lot of other stuff like this podcast, but a lot of my current stack of reading is about um automation and uh I'm reading a book right now called The Zero Marginal Cost Society um oh my. by Jeremy Rifkin, which is about this idea that like what do we do with uh What's been a capitalist society when almost everything costs almost nothing to make. Mm-hmm. So there's no profit margin in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now I hear where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's this, it's this idea. I mean, and I, I said nobody's immune, you know. 
the idea has been for a long time, well, you know, white collar work will never be automated the way blue collar work is. Well, hmm. and then, then come computers. And then comes the internet. <laughs> and people uh -huh. still say, well, I make a lot of decisions. I do very creative work. Well, at some point, a lot of those decisions and a lot of that creative work also either becomes machine doable or mm -hmm. becomes so well facilitated by a machine. You know, if, if you could tell a machine what to draw on the page and it would do a reasonable approximation of what you're thinking, we don't need mm -hmm. cartoonists who spend years and years practicing. And anybody can be a yeah. cartoonist, and cartooning isn't worth anything. P.S. It's not worth very much today. Um, you know, there's there's this idea. Well, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be creative, or I'm too I'm too artistic. I'm too whatever. The problem with that is though, that's also not a solution because creatives don't make that much money. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe a computer will not be able to write a novel even in your great great grandchild's lifetime, but you mostly can't make a career writing novels. Mm -hmm. Some do. Most people who right. do it don't. Um, you know, you can make a career being a manager in a bank, but mm -hmm. less and less of what we need bank managers to do can't be done by a computer or can't be spread across more employees and more banks using computers. You know, you need mm -hmm. fewer, fewer people to do the same amount of work, the better the computer gets. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, that's where all that's coming from. And yeah. Amazon <sighs> being an internet company, I wonder, you know, mm -hmm. I doubt that this is Jeff Bezos being you know, being a futurist and being prescient. But part of me does wonder, this is one of the first big internet success companies. And does that mean that baked into their DNA is this awareness that the future is coming and that they are already competing with the machines that they will really be competing with, that we'll all be competing yeah. with a few years down the line? Yeah. But, okay, if we take the <laughs> He's, long He said view, bleakly. Though... <laughs> I know, and I'm not even going to acknowledge your bleakness. I'm just going to argue with you. No, go for um, it. <laughs> usually I at least give you a wah, wah. <laughs> um, uh, follow me into the past. Um, but to take the long view, it hasn't, like, isn't that the, the eternal thing that there, of course there's always a future coming and we're always sort of racing it or fighting it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, this this isn't unique to this moment in the internet. No, no, it's not. And I'm not I should mention too, I'm not fighting it. I mean, mm -hmm. I have I have a podcast about my obsession with productivity and time management. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm yeah, I'm uh, well, I listen to tech podcasts constantly. I am reading books about this subject, not because mm -hmm. I'm scared of the future, but because I am interested. <laughs> I'm curious what people are saying. Right. Um I want to know how to navigate it when it gets here. Um so, but that's sort of what. But so yes, yes, what you're saying is true. But I'm I'm saying I'm not even I'm not even here. I'm not here to fight it. I'm not here to warn anybody. I'm not like you know. I'm not I'm uh -huh. not uh, I'm not the Terminator coming back to either kill or save Sarah Connors, depending on which movie you're watching. Um, mm -hmm. I'm I'm not you know I'm not having a stake in which way that future goes. I'm just saying like this happens mm -hmm. and it's happened before. I mean. You know, we mm -hmm. survived them all and moved on, but, but we've had uh -huh. massive economic dislocation before. I'm not saying we won't navigate this one. What I am saying is it's coming, and I wonder mm -hmm. if Amazon is symptomatic of it. But what I'm saying is how can that be a defense for this if this isn't – this is always a thing? Oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. Yeah, That's yeah. What I'm okay, I see what you're saying. Yes. No, not defending it. I'm saying I'm. I'm – it's less of a defense than a – potential, I don't know, empathy. Um, 
it's it's about what is possibly driving this like the kind of mm-hmm. mindset where this could seem like what problem could this seem like a sane response to yeah no no how's no. that yeah yeah that's more no, that's what i'm better. saying not that this like, is... but that doesn't make it okay no 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 it doesn't <laughs> because there will always be a it doesn't to fight. you know neither does you know if we if we eliminate the need for 95 percent of the jobs in the world right now that doesn't mean we should kill 95 percent of the people um, oh my! <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not defending <laughs> the solution. It, I made it worse. <laughs> you know, I made it worse. That's what I do. Um, I'm, I'm not defending this particular solution to the problem. I'm just wondering if that is the problem that they're okay. attempting to solve. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, or or yes. maybe not hamfistedly. Maybe as well as anybody there can think to solve it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. I don't know, and it's it's. Um, uh, there's going to be dislocation and there's going to be change and there's going to be painful transitions, you know, like mm-hmm. you say, that's, that is how, that is always true. The future is always coming. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering if this is an attempt to grapple with that, that this is an Amazon isn't sure. about competing with, with Microsoft and Barnes and Noble and Apple and whoever else they see themselves competing with right now. Um, but if this is Amazon competing with the big, the big competitor, <laughs> the future. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the funniest pause on the whole episode. That was great. <laughs> it might be my funniest yeah, pause on the whole show. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy that in the re-listen. Um, yeah. So, and I, I, I totally hear the, the defenses and, um, the non-defense uh, empathetic reading that you just gave, um, because I think I think a lot of this comes back to the idea that we're all going to be the most productive and the coolest as a society, as a group, whatever. Mm-hmm. If people are doing the things they want to do, the things that um, they are called to, and believe that they are called to, how, however they think of that connection. Um, that they excel at, that they are support, the kid they can find the support or the resources for, um, even if they have to fight very hard for those things, but that they want to fight for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all better off when everyone can say that that's true of themselves. Um, so what is goofy in the situation is that it's not clear that people really are connected all the time to the work and the conditions that do that stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's very beautiful. Thanks. All right. How do we do that? <laughs> um, everyone needs to attend a small private liberal arts college. <laughs> <laughs> Please cut this all out. <laughs> uh, um, that is not my real soapbox, and um, <laughs> it is not a commercial. Um, uh, so I'm doing it wrong by right now attending the largest college in the state of Kansas. <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing. You chose that while you're working mm-hmm. and, you know, like having a life and mm-hmm. other humans in your life outside of yeah. work um, for subjects that you felt were important to you and your personal mission as it is mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> Such as it is for um, the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I'm not saying that dismissively. Yeah, no, I'm but saying... I think I think as it is and for right now are two very important phrases. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's sort of a different version of what I was just saying. Like, 
if you are connected to that thing right now, mm-hmm. then it is the the proper yeah. thing for you to be doing right, right now. And I would I would point out I've been pretty pretty hard on and on Amazon through this whole thing and on the relative sustainability of this. But I am also somebody who has many times many of my happiest times been working crazy hours mm-hmm. like this. Um, I mean, one, one example that's closer to a crunch because it was once a year, but we, we always reference Nebraska Leadership Seminar, the, the not-for-profit we both um, volunteered with for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the titular Nebraska <laughs> Leadership Seminar that's held every summer is a four-day event that, uh, you know, at, programming for basically runs from, from eight or nine in the morning until almost midnight. Um, and for 72 plus hours, you know, you're basically awake and working if you're staffing it mm-hmm. um, or awake and goofing off during the, the four to six hours you have to theoretically sleep. Um, <laughs> you True. know, it's so I know what it's like to work that kind of hours. I've also I also will say, you know, I right now I'm working full time plus a little bit because I'm I'm salaried and we are in a big crunch related to a, <laughs> to some technology projects. Um, I am taking, I'm a half-time student right now. I'm taking six credit hours. Um, my institution actually offers some short-term classes that, that start later in the semester and, and, you know, take up a smaller number of weeks for the same number of credits. And I'm thinking of adding credits Hmm. using some of those short-term classes later in the semester because I'm an idiot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but are you an idiot I, for the right reason? I did some I did some work for my wife's small business this last weekend. Um actually speaking of resumes, I wrote resumes for people. <laughs> um, oh my. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I've got a lot going on and I'm I am trying I just as I just said, I'm trying to stress that out. I'm even trying to take on more right now. Um you know, some of my happiest times as a as a working adult were uh, the fall of 2003, um, when I was living in Springfield, which Nebraskans <laughs> will know probably is a town between Omaha and Lincoln, um, I had a full-time job at a internet brokerage in Omaha. I had a part-time job working 24 hours a week as a grocery stocker in the evenings, usually working from 8 at night till 2 in the morning, four nights a week. Um, and I was taking a class in Lincoln, the complete opposite direction from where I was working, two mornings a week. Um, so I had a lot of 20 to 22 hour days. Uh, I had a lot of days, you know, where I did not hardly sleep. And because my sleep schedule was so different day to day, I had a lot of weeks where I hardly slept. You know what? I was really happy though. Cause to your point, I was doing the stuff I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was making progress on things that were important to me. Um, mm-hmm. I was choosing it all. And I think this is important. You know, part of the reason why I think this Amazon thing is unsustainable. I was also doing three different things. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a break from one to go do something else that used a different part of my body or brain that was unrelated, you know, that didn't have carryover stress and problems from whatever I was doing for the last eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's the thing. I think these kind of long hours you can take on for a, a reasonably long period of time if it's what you want to be doing, if it's about stuff mm-hmm. you care about. But I also think in general, like, it's not good to crunch all the time that much on the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, we could, I could talk a long time about that, but that's sort of, um, you know, at my main institution, I have, I've, I've mentioned this before, I have three distinct positions with separate duties. Mm-hmm. Um, shortstop, plus, right fielder. <laughs> Who you call in shortstop? <laughs> um, 
sport ball. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in addition to being a student and, you know, having other activities and, and people and important things in my life. Um, and it's funny because when I, when I explain my, my titles, my roles to people, I never, even if I did want this sort of reaction, I never have to say the word busy. I never have to say the word tired. Um, and people react to hearing my three titles as if I had just lamented about how busy and tired I was. I don't have to do that. So even if I, that's the reaction I were going for, um, people make a lot of assumptions about, um, what my professional life is like, um, which frankly I'm fine with, um, <laughs> cause it, it doesn't get me out of anything, but it makes me feel like I get out of stuff. Like, Oh, I got, I got like free pity, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but when, when I do talk to people about how, how that all works for me, there are moments where one of the three positions will be in a moment of crunch time and the other two have to sort of uh, take on a smaller role in my life, in my week, in my whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the three really do feed and sustain each other so nicely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great privilege to get to do three things mm-hmm. um, yeah. that can be done well mm-hmm. together. Well, and that, that no, interconnectedness is, is good. Like I, I, you know, I do this podcast and I'm taking classes and I work for a company. Um, again, it's, we're in a tall glass building and we make numbers. Um, but, uh, they, you know, it's, it's three different things, but they're also three sort of related things. You know, I am taking classes that, that are towards a degree that relates to what I do in my day job. And Mm -hmm. I am on this podcast talking about, you know, work and productivity and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, while I'm working and theoretically being productive at my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Ish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I I agree. It's good to be in that kind of situation where the things feed on each other and support each other, Um, Mm -hmm. which I guess I guess that makes Amazon not so different from us because clearly Amazon is feeding on its people as well. (laughs) <laughs> as in eating them <laughs> <laughs> chewing them up and spitting them out devouring mm-hmm. yeah so mm. i guess i guess um, what we've learned today is that uh jeff bezos is a bad man and i need a snack and katie needs a snack um no yeah i would say i'd say <laughs> if you work at amazon and you're happy with it mazel tov um uh everybody else the robots are coming so watch your back you have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-N. Thanks again for listening. Taken it to heart enough or done productive things as a result, but... I think it. I think it's made my relationship to. Wow, what was that? Sorry, I sneezed. <laughs> <laughs> I am beset, besotted. Apparently so. Um, mm. Sounded like something fell over. 
<laughs> uh. My health. <laughs>